Come on, let's celebrate in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Somebody jump, somebody dance, but let's give the Lord some praise here today. Let's rejoice in him. Let the redeemed of the Lord declare, I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. How many is excited to be in church here tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. Excited to be in the presence of the Lord and to be with God's people. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated all across the building. And you can turn open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Genesis, chapter 18. Man, thankful for what we feel here tonight and what God's been doing. Amen. Grateful to have all of our guests, our visitors, all of our return guests and return visitors. Amen. We're glad to have you. Let's give them a big ARC welcome. Amen. I want to say it's good to have Sister Darlis back in the house of the Lord with us. We love you. We miss you. And uh, glad to have you back in Jesus' name. And uh, let's not forget, as was mentioned, this Sunday... Brother Polar is going to be preaching. Uh, church, we're in it. We're just in a season of revival and harvest. And if you know anybody that needs the Holy Ghost, I think it's a great opportunity to bring them. Amen? Is that all right? If you know somebody that's just on the fence about being baptized in Jesus' name, uh, we've got water, and, and we'll baptize them and all of that good stuff. And I just believe that Brother Polar is going to bring a word, and uh, I'm believing that he's going to just keep moving a revival forward. So just invite people to come with you. And it'll be a great time in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. And so, amen. Uh, we're going to recap a little bit. Um, chapter 18. And uh, kind of got off uh, on a little bit of a rabbit trail. But it was intentional. And uh, I'm going to finish that rabbit trail a little bit today. And then we're going to move on into the rest of our Bible study. But as the Lord appeared in chapter 18, verse number 1. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the day of the heat. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men stood by him. And when they saw him, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread. Now, I can read the rest of it. We read it last week. But we talked about there's two motifs in the Bible. Amen. We're going to we're gonna get to uh, the promise before the end of the Bible study. Amen. But uh, we talked about two biblical motifs that are important to Christian living. Uh, and we started the process, but I didn't get past number one. So hopefully we'll get past number one here tonight. But I just felt so strongly to just really get that into uh, the, the culture of the church. Now, we've got a culture of this, but I want it to be uh, where it's really important. And brother, you can actually get rid of the, the, the thing up there just for now. Um, but first and foremost, everybody say hospitality. So I'm going to recap a little bit of hospitality. Hospitality is a biblical uh, doctrine. It is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. The things that we take for granted today because we are living in a post-Christian world that has been influenced by the Bible, we take a lot of these things for granted. And, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the law, and we get to um, specific laws. 
for example, you know, like, uh, you know, don't, don't kill. We take that and go, well, no, duh. But there are peoples all across the world even today that have never been Christian or never had Christian influence that are still killing and cannibalizing. There are still cannibals in the world today. And we think, oh, how barbaric. Well, just so you're aware, the whole world's barbaric. And it wasn't until you start having these Judeo-Christian principles from the Word of God show up that they start, uh, it starts shaping the world that we're in. When we look at the hospitality that Abram grew up in, we will find places like Sodom and Gomorrah. We will find people like Abimelech. We will find other folks that when Abram showed up to Egypt, he looked at his wife, and this is where people get, they're always like, man, how did Abraham do that? He looked at his wife and said, just tell him you're my sister. Now, husbands, don't do that. That's a bad idea. But he thought, I'll spare my life by acting like we are not married. And you actually find this happens to Isaac as well. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on that about hiding your relationship. That's another story for another time. But, but we won't get into that. But he goes in there. He understands the world he's living in. It is not a, uh, it is not a biblical view of hospitality. It was whatever Pharaoh wants, Pharaoh gets. And he knew she's beautiful. And every husband ought to think that about their wife. She's beautiful, and even the king will want you. And so, uh, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And thank God for the Lord intervening and sending a pestilence upon him. And also later on, because again, Abraham does this two different times. He sends a, just bad nightmares, and they, they, they realize this is a bad idea. But the world he's living in, when strangers come in, if we want what you have, we'll kill you to get what you got. And we will not take care of you. And again, Sodom and Gomorrah, which later we're, we, we read about in chapter 19. The angels that first appear to Abraham go down into Sodom and Gomorrah with the intention of, we're going to see how they treat us. And when they show up, thank the Lord that Lot was there. Because Lot was the only one that had lived under Abraham's roof and had, a, had an understanding of hospitality. And his, again, was based more out of fear. He said, I'm going to bring you in to my house because I know that if you stay in the street, they're going to do really, really bad things to you. And I don't want you to be subjected to that. So come in. That's the world that Abraham was living in. And Abraham's response when he sees three random strangers is, please, Rest in this nice shade. Why don't you just wash your feet? Let me get you some water. Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, these are not, he doesn't know at this point that these are angels. We talked about this last week, that, these, that there's the angel of the Lord, that these are angels showing up. And Abraham treats them like royalty. And that is a biblical motif. Amen. We talked about it, how the Bible says in Deuteronomy 10, that we are to take care of the stranger because that's what God does. We learn in Romans 12 and 13 that the church and the people in the church are to be given to hospitality. I want to tell you, church, this is a secret to revival. If, and, and hospitality is not just food after church. Amen. It's not just food after. We do that. We, we try to do that from time to time. But hospitality is we've got ushers and we've got greeters. And uh, you know what? If you, if you don't have a badge that says usher or greeter, if you see somebody, greet them. 
shake their hand. Tell them, I'm so glad to see you. Is this all right? We're just, just going to do a little pastoring and Bible study here today. Now, we do great at this, so I'm not saying the best time to teach and to preach is when everybody's doing great. When you have to talk about things when people are struggling, that's another story for another time. So, uh, but, but, but it, it, is, it is something that we are to be given to. We are to be given to hospitality, to be looking for ways to take care of, of those that we know. Because I know some folks, they go so as far to, I'll take care of the stranger, but I won't take care of people I know. That you got to take care of those that you know as well as those that you don't know. You know, there's some people, they're really good at taking care of strangers, but they are very bad to their family. This is not an either-or situation. This is a do-both situation. So, uh, man, I'm really good with the sinner when they walk through the door. And, man, we're going to treat them real good, but, man, that brother, I just don't like them. I'm going to treat them bad. No, that's... That's not given to hospitality. We have to be given to hospitality. In fact, in each of the New Testament examples, when it talks about hospitality, you'll find another phrase, brotherly love or charity. So you've got to love your brother, and you've got to love the stranger. And everybody said amen. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, for all the bishops, deacons, uh, elders, you have to be given to hospitality. You know, it's, it's, it's one, you know, and this is what's, what's challenging is people think the further I, and this is where we've got to do a little bit better. I thank the Lord for everybody that, tra- that takes care of my wife and I and, and treats us nice. Please don't stop treating us nice. We really like that. It's really good. But, but, but we've kind of done something a little weird. Not, not so much. We tried not to do that so much in this church, but in other places, uh, it's, it's the pastor who's in front and he's on top and, and people are all serving the pastor. And I, I don't have a problem with that. So please, I'm not saying to undo those. Those are good as well. Uh, but everybody else is just a bunch of peasants. That's not okay. Is that all right? Is that all right? I know I might put myself on the chopping block here to get a little scrutiny. But it's not okay for that to be one above the other in that sense. Now, one person has a responsibility to roll. They've got things to do. You know, you're, you're running around trying to make things happen in the church. But, but we've, we've almost got to the place where, you know, uh, the higher you go up in church culture and hierarchy, the more served you are. And that's not the biblical model. If you're a, de- a deacon, a bishop, an elder, it's actually an opportunity for you to serve more. Jesus put it this way. Whoever will be great among you will be the most servant. Now, you serve in different capacities in different areas in your life. You know, uh, there might be somebody in the church that is, that is plunging toilets or washing the toilets, and, and, and the deacon or the elder is actually counseling with somebody or working with somebody. It, it's not like you have to do the same thing the whole way through your ministry or through your Christian existence. But we should all be looking for ways where we can be hospitable and where we can serve. And, 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 and the biblical model is we don't kick back into retirement. I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. Abraham was 99 years old, running around like he was 15, looking for avenues and areas where he can serve. He was just trying to find out ways he could take care of strangers and take care of angels. I don't ever want to retire. Amen. There will come a day where I will stop being the pastor. But I don't ever want to retire from serving people. And I don't ever want to retire from looking for areas and avenues in which we can be invested in the kingdom. I I know some folks, they stop pastoring. All of a sudden, they're just on an eternal vacation. That's not the will of God. 
You don't st- and I know this is it may not matter to a whole lot of people, but you don't stop pastoring and then stop going to church. That's not how this works. You consistently you just move into a different role of serving and helping and leading and guiding. And you might step out of a ministry in the church. Uh, you're no longer the leader or the director of that particular ministry. But that doesn't mean it's time to kick back and go on vacation for six months. Is this all right? Man, Pastor, you're you're dealing with too much stuff. All right, well. Praise God. we got to do it sometime. Might as well do it now or we're all talking about Abraham. So, you know, hospitality is something we all have to do. And if you want to be great and, you know, great thing for young men is, you know, don't, don't force the elder to be the one to have to do it. You get up and do it your first. Uh, but we also don't want to block them from doing things. And so, uh, but there's different capacities. And, and sometimes, and this is also another lesson we could get into, that as you grow, there are different things that God's going to utilize you in. And you have to make room for other people to be in those areas. If you're so, you know, and this is where we cannot get married to a position. Amen. Because God might want to bring somebody else in to fill that role. But it's like, no, that's what I do in the church. No, that's not how this works. Hospitality is where is the place where I am best able to serve? And if it means means that the best place I can serve is by handing out coffee and donuts, that's what I'm going to do. If that's where I'm best needed right now, and somebody asks, what's the will of God? And another pastor answered, he said, it's the present task at hand. So if you want to know, pastor, what's the will of God? It's the present task at hand. It's if you see something, you do something about it. If you see something on the ground, you pick it up. This is all part of hospitality, whether you know it or not. Because this is the Lord's house, and we're welcoming people into the Lord's house, and God's bringing it. And this is real good for some older folks that have been in church a long time, not just age-wise. People in church, while this is good for you to hear, and some of our new folks, this is good for you to hear the culture of ARC, that we just constantly look for areas to serve. We are saved to serve. We are not saved to be served. And everybody said amen. Okay, so hospitality, both in the church and out of the church, is a necessity of the Christian existence. You cannot, in fact, uh, uh, you know, First Peter, it says that we must use hospitality without uh, begrudging one another. You don't do it just because, well, the pastor said I have to. If that's how you're going to be hospitable, you'd probably just be better off staying, you know, out of that area. Just, you know, if you're going to do it with a bad attitude, don't do it. Just, you know, some people, they'd say the opposite. Just do it anyways. No, if you're going to do it with a bad attitude, it's probably better for you to wait for your spirit to get right because it won't be received properly and everybody said amen in hebrews we learned let brotherly love continue because when we are hospitable we entertain angels unaware you don't know who you're being hospitable to you don't know who god's going to bring into the church you don't know what their situation is and and whether they are a visitor or they are a saint of god that's been coming for a while you never know what avenue or week they've had just be loving let brotherly love continue and also be looking for opportunities to help and to serve. And I think the church has done an incredible job at that. And uh, and thank the Lord. And and Jesus put it this way. He said, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. And they said, when? When did we see you in that position? He said, whenever you saw somebody in need and you did it to them. You know, the Bible says whatever we do in word or in deed, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything we do. Well, you know, some people have equated their Christian existence to Sunday and Wednesday. That is, this is the equipping place. This is where we come, and I thank God for everybody that's here tonight. You've come to be equipped. You've come to be, because real ministry is going to start outside of these walls. 
It's when you're dealing day by day with a broken coworker. You're dealing with a friend that, that, that's lost a loved one. You're dealing with people that are, that are going through divorce and they're going through other issues. This is just the training ground that's going to give and equip you. But it's when we go out and we see people with needs, we look and we don't say, well, I don't have it. God's not going to require you to give something you don't have. If you don't have money, God's not going to tell you, give that person money. He's not going to have you give your rent money to somebody else. And everybody said amen. If you've got that gift, God bless you. We'll pray for you. But you might have time. Did you know sometimes time is the most valuable thing you can give to somebody? All they needed was five minutes of your time. That's what you have to give. Take a couple minutes and just hear a little bit of their story. Find out you didn't know you're entertaining. You're being hospitable to strangers. And in Matthew chapter 10, we talked about how Jesus said when you open, uh, when you give a cup of cold water, in the name of a disciple, to the least of these. He said, you won't lose your reward. You know, even if it's not for the grandiose, you know, I, I didn't serve the bishop, the pastor, the deacon. No, you served, you served one of the kids in the Sunday school, and you gave them some water when they said they were thirsty. Jesus said, you're still going to get a reward for that. And we've made it to where if we serve the great, we get rewarded. We can climb up the ladder. We can climb up whether it be the corporate ladder or the church ladder. Amen. I want to tell you, that's not how it works in the church. You just look for anybody that needs something, and you try to fill that need if it's within your capability, and God will bless you. And finally, and I had to recap this fully because there were some folks that weren't here, and I wanted you to get it. Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, he, he said, when you get it, when you have a feast, again, that's when you have more than enough. He said, you, you don't just invite your friends and the rich. You invite people that cannot repay you. You know, it's one of those things, especially we can get to a place if we're not careful in the church culture where it's one of those you scratch my back, I scratch yours type relationships that I do for you because I know you'll do it back for me. But Jesus is saying you actually go find somebody who can never repay you. You find somebody who, A, they can't cook for you, and B, you may not want them to cook for you. Um, and you invite them into your home. This isn't talking about Thanksgiving dinner. This is talking about when you go and you're ready to, you're ready for the intention. You are intentionally finding people that you want to minister to. He said, you don't minister because we're real good at this. And, and we get real, man, that's, that's where I, I love conferences, but I kind of have a little bit of chip on my shoulder sometimes about conferences because it's just, you know, we just scratch each other's back at conferences. You know, I'm not against it. Don't get me wrong. We have them. We do them. We love them. But there's, there's that other side of when the conference is over, when the meeting is over, when the family party is over, there's got to also be a time where we set aside, where we do real ministry to real people that are outside of the flock. Because if we're not careful, the church will just become a club. Man, this is not a club. This is a hospital. And sometimes we need some ambulances to go out and find people because they they're too broken to make it into the building by themselves. You've got to go out and get them. And everybody said, amen. But Jesus said this. He said, you will be recompensed. In other words, you will be blessed. In fact, he said it right before. He said, you will be blessed. Who wants to be blessed? If you will let God, through his spirit, give you mold you and shape you to have a spirit of hospitality which is look for areas in which you can serve people whether they can pay you back or not just man i'm not doing it to gain anything out of this i'm just doing it because i love god first and foremost 
and he told me to do this. And number two, we should love people because the Holy Ghost in us should make us love people. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart through the Holy Ghost. And as we, as we do this. So Abraham, 99 years old, he's the first guy that we see do this in the Bible. This is where we're actually getting a lot of what, and Paul will even do this. He'll go back to the Old Testament, and he'll, he'll start talking about giving. And he'll say, uh, it was written in the Old Testament, don't muzzle the ox. He takes an obscure verse that you and I would pass over and not even look at, and he said, did God write this because he cares about oxen? No. He wrote this, and then he gives the express. This is when we talk about Abraham. You can, you can read that and say, wow, what a great story. Or we can actually take this and say, you know, there's going to be times in my life where God's going to come by. And he's going to come by in forms that maybe I didn't recognize was God in disguise. Amen. Maybe not in literal form, but he brought somebody into my path. And that person was somebody I was supposed to minister to. And you, you look at it through the scriptures. The moment Abraham gets done, the angel of the Lord says, where's your wife? And as he says, well, well, she's over here. The angel of the Lord starts speaking. He says, this time next year, you're going to have it. I wonder how many miracles and promises and blessings are wrapped up in this this hospitality business and everybody said amen all right that's for free you got a double whammy for so just come every week and you won't have to do that no i'm kidding but let's go to genesis chapter 18 we're going to continue on in here genesis chapter 18 and let's read in verse number 17 he gets two things because he was hospitable He gets a miracle that he'd been praying for since he was 75 years old. I wonder if he'd had to wait longer for his promise if he'd have just said, you know what, I'll let somebody else take care of him. If we're not careful, we'll do the same thing in the church. You know what? It's kind of like the old adage. when They they learned that when you were in a crowd and you said, somebody called 911. They learned nobody called 911. Because everybody assumed somebody else was going to do it. They actually said, in, and they trained us even, they, that they would say designate somebody to call 911. When it comes to things like hospitality, you know, when it comes to revival, when it comes to uh, visitor retention, this is how it needs to be, and this is how I feel like it's going at ARC. We aren't waiting on somebody else to do it. Oh, the pastor will get to him. I'm going to assume nobody's going to get to him, so I'm going to try to get to him. Now, I hope by the time I get to him, 15 other people have already got to him. And said, hey, we'd love to take you out for coffee. I hope that happens. But we all have to assume that nobody else is going to do it, and it's my responsibility. And if all of us say it's my responsibility to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, guess what? We're all going to go out and be Jesus' hands and feet in the world. Praise God for that. Okay, so now he gets a second opportunity. This is one of the most powerful things that happens in Abraham's life. Okay, I I don't want you to miss this. Verse 17 of chapter 18, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham The thing which I shall do. Because he was hospitable to strangers, he's now about to get revelation and insight that he would not have gotten. Because he was willing to, in New Testament terms, be the hands and feet of Jesus, he is now getting revelation and opportunity that he would not have had. Verse 18, he gives the understanding. Seeing as Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. If Abraham's lineage is going to rule the world, which we know through the New Testament, rule and reign with Christ. Am I going to hide what I'm about to do? In fact, Abraham is such a friend of God that God's now looking. He's saying, I trust Abraham, and I, I want to just see the heartbeat of Abraham. I want to see what Abraham would do in this circumstance. I'm actually going to bring him into the conversation. 
Now, I want you to just think about this for a moment. He is God Almighty, infinite, God of the universe. He spoke and light came without any source for light to emit. And he says, I'm going to talk to this old 99-year-old guy about what I'm about to do and see what he thinks. How many would love to be that close to God that before he does anything in the world, he says, i got to check with Elder Bobo real quick. Wouldn't you love that? That'd be great. You know, I, I need to check with I need I need to check with William real quick. I just I just need to check in. You know, I need to I need to find out what William thinks about this. That'd be great. Wouldn't you love for God to say, you know, before I bring judgment on this family, I want to find out what Brother Steve thinks about it. This is how close Abraham was to God, that God thought, I'm not I'm not just going to I'm just I'm not going to act anymore. Because this has always been the intention of God. He did not create you and I just to be robots. He created us for relationship. He created us for communication. He created us. Yeah. Before I bring a terrible judgment upon Carson City, I want to check in with ARC and see what they think about this. Before, you know, we, we all would love that, you know, if the president said, before I do anything, I'm, I'm going to give him a call real quick. I know there's some folks you would really love that. Even if he bumbled and fumbled over his words, you'd still love for the opportunity for him to call you before you made a decision because you would make different decisions. Hey, hallelujah. So anyways, this is what God did. He said, I'm going to I'm going to talk with Abraham because Abraham's my friend and he's going to have a greater role in history than he even understands at this moment. So I'm going to actually bring him into the conversation. And the Lord said, in verse number 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is grievous. I will now go down and see whether or not they have done altogether as the cry of it, which has come unto me, and I will know. Notice how he's even given Sodom and Gomorrah the benefit of the doubt. He said, I'm going to find out how they treat. I'm going to send two angels in and see how they treat them. And I'm just going to check in. Now, I love verse 23. Get ready for this. This is just powerful. Now, all my Bible nerds, you just stick with me. Amen. We're going to get through this. Verse 23. When God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to find out. And if they aren't doing right, and Abraham, who lives near Sodom and Gomorrah, has a nephew in Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows firsthand how wicked it is. He's already had to go and defend his, neighbor, his, his nephew Lot. He's already had to go and try to pull him out. He's already had to fight battles on behalf of Lot. He already knows how wicked it is. And this is his response when God says, I'm going to destroy him. Verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? You know, this is how this is how I feel like our relationship with God should always be. That in moments when there's difficulty, in moments when there's trial, in moments when there's about to be judgment, that is not the time to go off on your own. That's the time to draw near. Amen. That's the time when God starts speaking to you. And, and sometimes the judgment is actually he's judging things in your life. And you come to church and the pastor's preaching something, the evangelist's preaching something, and God's convicting your heart because God says, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to let them know that this this judgment is coming. And I'm going to tell them because I want them to know. And there's some people they feel convicted and they instead of taking a couple steps forward. And getting more spiritual, they take five steps backwards. And they say, no, I don't want to. I want to tell you, the answer that you, the best answer I could give you in this Christian walk is every opportunity you get to draw near to God, do it. Just draw near to him. Get as close as you can. Even if you feel convicted, get close. And everybody said amen. 
Now, Abraham, this is powerful when you really consider what's happening here. Nobody's ever done this before. He's immortal. He's talking to infinite God. He is stepping out in faith beyond any faith we've ever stepped into. And he's talking with God, and God's already telling him what he's going to do. And this is what he says. He says, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? See, Abraham knows God. He knows the justness of God. He knows the righteousness of God. And when God says, I'm going to destroy the whole city, there's something in Abraham because he's close to God. He goes, that, hold on, let me just check real quick. And, he, and, and, and if you ever need a really cool old English word, here's one. Peradventure, which means perhaps, maybe, perhaps, maybe. If there's 50 righteous within the city, will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous therein? Now, we read this from the Bible, and we go, okay, that's a cool narrative. You've got to understand, he's talking to God. There, when you go to the New Testament, Zechariah, who is told he's going to have a kid, starts to rebuttal against the angel, and the angel says, you're going to be mute and not speak until your kid's born. This is an angel. Here he is talking to the angel of the Lord, and he's like, hey, uh, perhaps, maybe, if, if at any point there's say 50 people that are still righteous, will you spare the city for the 50 righteous or are you going to just destroy it? I just want to know. I'm just asking. And this, this methodology that he's using, he's trying to barter and bargain with God, which you can look through the scriptures. The Bible talks about if you make a vow unto the Lord, defer not to pay. There is this idea that you can, in fact, have communication with God and that you can, in fact, make a deal with God. I know that sounds a little wild, but this is really where we get this, where you say, God, you know, uh, will, will you will you destroy the righteous with the wicked if there's 50? And this is this is what he says in verse 25. That be it far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham's saying, I, I'm not as good as you. I'm not as righteous as you, but that, that just doesn't seem right to me. And I just, I just want to check in with you if that's really what you think to do because I, I want to make sure I've got my revelation of God correct. Verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. I want to take this, and, and, and I won't read it all, but he gets God all the way down to 10, and he does it very, very graciously. But I want to take this, and I want to explain something about God. There are people that read the story in chapter 19, and we did. We studied Lot a couple weeks ago. And they see the fire and the brimstone falling from heaven. And they read the Bible, and they see uh, things in the Old Testament that God eradicates entire nations. And there are atheists that will pull this up, and they'll say, well, if your God's so loving, then why did God do? And look back at Sodom and Gomorrah. But they miss the context. They miss the fact that in the midst of all of this, God is, God is speaking with a man, and this man is saying, hey, if we find 50 righteous... Then he goes down, he says, if we find 45 righteous, and each time that this person petitions God for mercy, God responds in the affirmative, yes, I'll give mercy. The entire way, all the way down to 10, they say, I I would you, will you show mercy? And God says, yes, I'll show mercy. I want to tell you, before you ever get to the judgment of God, you're going to have to pass by so much mercy. There's going to be so many, there's going to be so many if I were to put it this way, it is not going to be easy for one person to ever go to hell. We have to say it very, very frank. 
There will be people going to hell. It was not created for man. It was created for the devil and all of his fallen angels. It was not created for man. And there will be people that go to hell. But the Bible puts it best when it says the way of the transgressor is hard. I want to tell you why it's hard. Because you're going to have to push against the claws of grace that are trying to pull you back. I want to tell you, you're going to have to push against mercy and push against grace. And you're going to have to, God's going to be holding out his arm, trying to hold on to you. And you're going to have to break your bones to pull out of his hand. Amen. Because God's so merciful and God's so gracious. Yes, there's judgment, and we must never forget, because if we don't fear the Lord, I want to tell you, the fear of the Lord is not to be, to, be, uh, to be constantly cowering in front of God. It is a reverence of God. It's an understanding. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. And the judgment, the judgment that God brings reminds us that God is all-powerful. You know, people don't believe in God until a natural disaster strikes. They, they, as long as they've got money in the bank and their house is standing, but you bring a hurricane through and they start praying to a God they didn't believe in. Because they finally, for the first time, realize there's something bigger than me. I want to tell you what judgment looks like. I'm not saying natural disasters are all judgment, uh, although that has happened in time and through the Bible. But, but it's showing people the judgment of God, and it brings the fear of the Lord. And there are these moments, but before you ever get to judgment, before you ever get to the fear of the Lord, there is going to be mercy. And this is the other side of the coin. This is the part of the conversation Lot never got. That there was somebody praying for him. There was somebody, everybody say intercession. If you have your Bible, Isaiah 59 and 16. So you got two things. Hospitality, which is usually dealing with strangers. And now you got intercession, which is praying for a friend. Praying for somebody. Isaiah 59 and 16. This is God speaking. This is a prophecy later of the coming Redeemer named Jesus. And verse 16. And he saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no intercessor. No one to stand in the gap. Because we see this even back in Abraham. God is looking for somebody that's willing to stand in the gap between the lost and the saved, between heaven and hell. I want to tell you, that is our mission, church. We are, we are, we are, we are standing right there in Christ. Christ is the mediator, and we are in Christ. And the Bible says we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation, and it is our job to stand with Christ in the gap as this world, amen, being the bridge that this world needs, amen, from their lost, sinful darkness and bringing them into marvelous light. But God showed up and he says, I was looking for somebody. And really, when you read that prophetic statement, he's saying, I was looking for eight, I was looking all the way through the Bible, looking through all of the men in the Bible, and I looked and said, can Adam be the mediator? Can Adam be the intercessor? Can Adam stand in the gap? No, he sinned. He, he disobeyed God. He looked and said, well, can Cain be the intercessor? Well, no, he killed his brother. Now Abel can't because he's dead. And can it be Seth? And no, it's not Seth, although people called on the name of the Lord. Can it be Noah? And, the, and Noah can't be the man because he got drunk on his own vineyard. And can it be Abram? No, Abram committed, uh, he committed sin by creating an Ishmael. He's constantly looking for somebody to stand in this Messiah gap. And this is what the Bible says later on. Amen. He said, therefore, his arm brought salvation. 
when God looked through all of history and found no man that could save other men, God became a man. When he looked for men and said, is there a man that can stand in the gap, be the mediator, and save other men, he found no man righteous enough, no man good enough, and so God became a man. This is, this is the Bible. This is the gospel message. I love the way one person put it. They said, when man could not be like God, God became like men so that men could be like God. I think we ought to lift up our hands and give the Lord some praise for the fact that he stood in the gap and he interceded for us and he mediated for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Turn there. So God's always been looking for somebody to stand in the gap. Before he ever brings judgment, he's looking for somebody to stand and, and, and ask for mercy. This, I, I preached about this a little bit on Sunday. You know, if you'll pray for other people, you might be the one standing in the gap praying for mercy. And the Bible says mercy rejoices over judgment. What does that mean? That if ever given an opportunity where God has to choose between mercy or judgment, he chooses mercy every time. Now, if it's judgment or judgment, it's judgment. But if it's mercy or judgment, he chooses mercy. God is looking for opportunities to be merciful. God is looking for reasons to save people. For God so loved the world. This is why he came. Amen. Romans 8 and 26. Let's talk about intercession a little further. Likewise, the Spirit. I want to tell you this is why you need the Holy Ghost. You cannot do this by yourself. You cannot do this just being more religious. You are not able, as Isaiah prophesied and told us, you are not able to be your own intercessor. You cannot stand in the gap for yourself. Likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I want to tell you, when you are praying in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says you are building up your most holy faith. When you are praying in the Holy Ghost, you... You are not speaking in gibberish. I want to tell you what you're doing. The Spirit itself is standing in the gap in areas in your life where you don't know that there's a gap. And, it is, and, and, and that Spirit is building up and building a bridge, and it's making a way. And the Bible says it is helping your weaknesses. It is helping your infirmities. It is helping all of the areas. I want to tell you what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is pulling in Abraham. When you are praying in the Holy Ghost, uh, the Spirit, amen, the Bible says Jesus, amen, is a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and he ever makes intercession for us. Amen, Jesus, uh, amen, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, uh, amen, when we are praying in the Holy Ghost, uh, we don't always see all the areas where we're failing. We don't always see the areas where we're falling short. Uh, amen, I'll tell you what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is pulling in Abraham and saying, uh, just give it a little more time. Uh, just give a little more it is the sacrifice of calvary uh, that is there uh, amen that lamb that is bled and is bleeding before the throne of god the sacrifice uh, of calvary that is constantly saying uh, give him more time uh, give him more time uh, give him more time it is the very thing that is saying i'm going to stand in the gap for my people and everybody said amen but intercession goes beyond just the salvation side of it goes beyond just the theological side of it. It also goes on the prayer side of it. 
God is looking for people that are willing to step into this, and, and we'll, we'll probably teach on this at a whole time. It is a dimension of prayer. Anybody in this building, have you ever, have you ever interceded for somebody? It's all right if you felt it. I want to tell you, if you've ever encountered true intercession, I'm not just talking about uh, you prayed just a prayer for somebody. That, that's, that's praying for somebody. But intercession goes deeper than that. If you've ever encountered that, you know how much it pulls from you and how much it takes from you. <laughs> I'll give you a quick story. Uh, it's happened to me twice. Once it was very intense. I was, a, I was asleep. I was having a dream. And uh, in this dream, my friend's car was upside down, crumpled in, in just bits. And I was there, and I saw him in this dream. He was dead. And I began to pray. I was dreaming. I would begin to pray. And I began to speak in other tongues and pray in the Spirit. And I woke up with tears streaming down my face at 4 in the morning, speaking in other tongues. Now, don't, don't think, man, the pastor's always spiritual. I am sleeping at 4 in the morning, I promise you. But this is, this is, this is why the Lord, he's, he's only been able to do this to me a couple times. But, but I got up, and I was so distraught. I was praying. I couldn't stop praying in, in the spirit. I was praying, praying, praying. I felt like it was one of those moments that, that John had. I felt like it was one of those moments that, that, that Paul had. And I was praying. And I, I walked out, and there, here comes one of my, my, my roommates that that worked knock shift, and he was coming in as he was getting off work, and I said, you know, is, is so-and-so alive? Which is a crazy question to ask him when he just got off work. And he said, uh, man, his car's out there. And I, I, I started banging on his door until finally I just busted it off the, off the latch, and I looked and, and, of course, started him awake pretty good. Uh, but you got to understand, well, Pastor, you're a little crazy, you're a little wild. you got to understand how real this was. <laughs> I felt something from the Spirit pulling me. And, and I said, brother, I, I just want to tell you, I had a dream. You got in a car wreck on this street, and you were upside down, and you, were, you had died. And I said, the Lord woke me up, and I was praying for you. Now, here's the crazy thing. That next morning, he, he went back to sleep. I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, he got up. He went out to his car. His car would not start. God is my witness. And, and his car would not start. He brings over a mechanic, certified mechanic. He said, I can't figure out why your car won't start. For three weeks, I had to take this guy around. That was not, not the part of the prayer I liked. <laughs> took him to church, took him to work, took him to all these different places. But for three weeks, I want to tell you, God, God was showing me the power of intercession. For three weeks, his car would not turn over, would not turn on, and not one mechanic could figure out what was wrong with his car. And one day, he got up, and he'd do it every day just to check it. And, 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 and he re at first, he thought I was crazy. But after this, he started realizing, man, maybe God's up to something. He got out there after three weeks, and his car turned right on and started purring like a kitten. And he said, hey, man, can you follow me to the car dealership? We drove straight down to the car dealership, and he traded that car in because in my dream, he died in that car. He said, I'm getting rid of it. And now you call us kooky or crazy. I don't really care. That, that doesn't matter. He's alive today. But I will tell you this. I believe God was trying to show us the power of intercession. I really do believe that God was saying, I'm looking for somebody that will stand in the gap and somebody that will pray, amen, that's not looking to be carnal, that's not looking to be religious, that's looking for an opportunity for God to use them. I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. I wanted to teach more on this Bible study, but I feel the Holy Ghost, and we're going to be done here tonight. I, I want to tell you, there's some people God wants to take you to another level in prayer. I preach about being a prayer warrior, and what does that look like? That means like praying when you feel like it. That means praying when you don't feel like it.
That means praying for yourself. That means praying for people you know. That means praying for people you never met. I want to tell you what it looks like. It means, God, uh, if you ever need a vessel and you're ever looking for somebody that you want to you wanna just let them in on some information, amen, you can talk to me. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter if it's early in the morning. I'm willing to be a vessel that you can speak to. I'm willing to be a vessel you can work through. Let's stand across the building. Come on, let's lift up our hands. Hallelujah. Come on, we'll talk about we'll talk about the promise coming to pass. Amen. Next week. We'll talk about the promised child next week. Uh, amen. But I want to talk to somebody right now. Amen. It could be that God wants to take you to a deeper level of prayer and a deeper level. You, but you got to draw near if you want to be an intercessor. You got to get close if you want to be an intercessor. Somebody pray. Oh, come on, let's pray. Come on, there's somebody that God has been laying on your heart. Amen. Don't push that feeling away. Don't push that, that name out of your mind. Don't push that image of that individual. Amen. They haven't texted you in six months, and they just sent you a text message. Amen. It might be that the Lord is working on them. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. Intercession is a deeper level that God wants to take the church to. There's preachers I know of, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk much longer. There are preachers I know that will not go to cities. They will not go to preach if they don't know that one of the people that's promised to pray for them will pray for them. Because they, they, they just made up their mind. They, they, they know that, this, that, that, that those prayers make a difference. I want to tell you, there's people in this building, well, I'm looking for a title. I'm looking for a position. I want to tell you. There is a lot of opportunity at his feet. I love what Brother Arnold said one time. He said, you know, the woman with the issue of blood said, you know why she crawled to the crowd? Because everybody was trying to get his hand, but there was a lot of room at his feet. And I think that's that's really where God wants to lead a lot of us. It's more than just being you know a little more religious. I want to tell you, there are people's lives in balance. There are people that when you pray for them, you, you may not feel anything, but you are moving heaven and earth for them. You may not see it, and it may not be apparent, and, and there may not always be those real, real spiritual moments. Again, more times than not, when I've felt intercession, it's been a lot less spiritual feeling than that. It's been all of a sudden, and I, I, it happens to me all the time. God will bring your name to my mind, and I'll start praying for you. And I pray for, for the church every day. But there's times where I feel like, man, I just really feel like I need to pray for this person a little more. We don't know, and it won't be till we get to heaven where we realize that how much of a difference we were making. Okay, you want Bible for it? I got Bible for you. Acts chapter 12, the Bible says that, that, that Herod took James and he put him and he beheaded him. And when he saw that everybody was enjoying that, he took Peter also and intended to do the same for him. But the Bible says this. But prayer was made continually for Peter. Now, now, I believe they prayed for James, but maybe, and, and you just got to hear, you just, you know, read the Bible as what it is. I'm sure they prayed for James. But I, I wonder, maybe if they didn't know how serious it was when James was in. Ah, they've thrown us in prison before. They beat us up and then they let us go. And that's just how it goes. And, you know, we don't really lose a lot of people that way. But all of a sudden, when they beheaded James, 
They said, oh, no, it just got real serious. We need to pray for Peter right now. I don't want to wait until things get super serious in our world to feel like my prayers are going to make a difference. But here's what's beautiful about this. When they prayed continually, they, they, they were praying so intently that when Peter knocked on the door, Rhoda came to the door and said, hey, can you go away? We're praying for Peter. I wonder what would happen if we got so intent in praying for people. You know, we need to invite them to church. We need to give them rides and all that. Be hospitable. I've already said all that. But, you know, there's power in praying for people. And it might be that God lays somebody on your heart. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be somebody you actually don't like. But what if God put them in your heart for a reason? Because God is looking for somebody that's willing to stand in the gap. I want to tell you, we will move heaven and earth through our prayers. Would you come down to the front? We're going to pray. And uh, thank you for, again, being a little more unorthodox today as well. But I wanted to finish this here because I really feel like this is two important factors that if, if we can get this in the church culture, and I believe we have, and I believe we are, and I believe we're going to continue to do it, I believe that things are going to forever change. You know, brothers and sisters, if you want to go deeper in your spiritual walk, amen, say, God, if you're looking for anybody to use, if you want to use these hands, you can use these hands. You want to use these feet, you can use these feet. And God, if you want to, you want to lay somebody on my heart and you're looking for somebody to pray for them, you, you could call me. I'll draw near. I'll pray for him. I'll be the person that says, God, I'll, I'll hit my knees and I'll, I'll, I'll pray that, God, you'll work on their, on their behalf. And it, it might be an inconvenient time, and I, I, may not, I may not understand what I'm praying for, but I do have to believe that by praying and interceding for somebody, that, that God, you're making a difference. And it might be that, that, that today was their last day on earth, uh, but, but because we prayed, uh, it, maybe Peter would have died in prison, but because we prayed and we interceded, amen, Lot got out of Sodom and Gomorrah and there was victory and there was deliverance and it wasn't over because there was somebody that was willing to pray come on that's it all across this building lift up your hands amen I want to tell you young people if you're looking for somewhere where God can use you I want to tell you start praying start praying for other people get a list of people that God lays on your heart and just pray for them pray for them pray for them don't relent in praying for them my life, my will to Thee, O Lord. Hallelujah. If you can Come on, maybe God wants to use you to change somebody's life through prayer or maybe change somebody's life through hospitality. It doesn't matter what way you do it. Just do what God is leading you to do. Your glory, I want to be a willing vessel, a vessel you who can use. I want to be a willing vessel, the instrument you choose. I want to empty of myself, available to you. So let me be a willing vessel, be a willing vessel, be a willing vessel you can use. Maybe an unknown place or a foreign 
send me, I'll go to share the gospel with those who have never heard. Come on, that's I it. Let's pray. In fact, let's 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 enact this right now. If it's appropriate, why don't you lay your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and begin to pray for them? I let's put this into practice right now. If you want to use me to pray for somebody, God touch Brother Brinson. God anoint Brother Brinson. You know areas, God, where you're working, and you know areas where he might need your help, God. I pray, Lord, come on, that you would work in those areas. You never know what that prayer could do. I want to empty Come on, do it for your brother. Do it for your sister in Jesus' name. Available to you. So let me be a willing vessel, be a willing vessel, be a willing vessel you can use. I want to be a willing vessel, a vessel you can use. I want to be a willing vessel, the instrument you choose. I want to empty of myself, available to you. So let me be a willing vessel, be a willing vessel. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving right now. God might have laid somebody on your mind right now. I want you to pray for them. Let's just take this moment as a good training ground. God, if you want to use somebody for intercession to stand in the gap, God, to pray for them. Lord, don't let this be their last day. Come on, maybe you've got a lost loved one. Don't let this be their last day on earth, God. Don't, don't, don't stop praying for them. God, don't, don't let them die without, without getting right with you. Come on, somebody, let that prayer come forth. Come on, that's it, church. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's just let's just keep this atmosphere of prayer going for a couple more moments. Come on, if you've got a lost loved one, why don't you call their name out right now and say, God, would you speak to them? 
Come on, that's it right now. Hallelujah. God touched my mother. God touched my siblings and their spouses and their kids. Lord, you know what it's going to take to turn their lives around. Hallelujah. You know what it's going to take to get them saved. Pray, God, whatever it takes, God, you're, you're merciful. God, be merciful to them and give them time, God. Come on, that's it. Let's pray. Come on, that's it. God's drawing some people closer right now. Come on, accept the invitation, Abraham, to get closer. Come on, Abraham, accept the invitation to get closer. You can, you can affect heaven and earth if you'll get closer to God. You can affect the lives of your family if you'll get closer to God. You can affect your friends if you'll get closer to God. Come on, somebody pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're praying, I want you to feel free to keep praying. But you know, the key, the key to intercession, I want you to get this tonight. The key to the, to the dimension of intercession where God can move on you to affect things on earth. Everybody say closeness. You, you don't get intercession without closeness. I want to tell you the biggest hindrance to intercession. Everybody say carnality. 
The carnal mind is the enemy of God. When we get carnal, you know, you know when we, this is a good, good way to find out if you're getting carnal. If all you think about is you. Is that all right? We're getting carnal if all we can think about is us. How we were slighted, how we were offended, whatever it might be. How we're feeling today. But we can, we can tell we're also getting close. Anybody want to take a stab at what God cares about most? Should be an easy answer. People. You want to know the heart of God? People. You ain't worried about, you're not worried about the economy. You might be, but he's not. He's, he's like, I'm not really affected by it, but he's affected about that individual. And you can always tell you're getting close to God when he starts bringing people into your path. And I'll tell you what the devil loved to do. He loved to get you distracted. I want to tell you, church, God is bringing people to the church. Don't get distracted. Not, this is not the time to get distracted. Is this all right? Is this all right? I'm just pastoring a little. This is, this is so good for us right now. Don't get distracted and don't go internal. It's me. It's about me. I can always tell when I'm getting carnal when it becomes about me. But I tell you what, when, when I start getting closer to God, God starts speaking to me about you. And God starts speaking to me about people I've met. And God starts speaking to me about my family members. And God starts speaking to me about the city. And God starts speaking to me about the region. Is this all right? And, and it's in that moment where all of a sudden as I get closer, you know what, there's some people, you kind of wish you had insider information about everything. Here's a great opportunity to get it. Get close to God. And God will start telling you things about people. Not for you to gossip. Is this all right? For you to pray. To pray. I'm not talking about, you know, there's the gossip prayer meeting. Let's pray for Brother So-and-so. He's been cheating on his wife. That's, that's not, not it. The real prayer meeting where you're like, I'm going to take this before God, and I'm not going to relent until something changes. Imagine if we prayed for people like that. And I believe there's some folks you have. This is why sometimes God almost has to, and if you've ever experienced biblical intercession, as I've, I didn't have time to really talk about it, it's almost like God takes over. But you are close enough to be a willing vessel that he could work on and use. And the spirit takes over and you start praying. And man, you, it, 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 it draws out of you. It's virtue flowing. If you've, ever, if you've never experienced it and you want to experience it, I want to tell you, just get closer. Just get closer. Okay, God, when, when, when you bring somebody in, it's, it could be as simple as this. It starts off, he brought somebody's name to your mind or their image to your mind. You, he brought something that they are going through to your mind. The best way is to say, okay, God, you trust me with this. I'm going to pray for him right now. Man, you brought Brother Jordan, Jordan in my mind today. It's, it's you know, 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, you know, for no reason at all. God touched Brother Jordan right now. He might be driving down the road. You never know what's going to happen. But God touch him right now. And all of a sudden, you find God will start doing that more frequently because he knows I can trust. I want to tell you, that's why in the church, it is a dying art of intercession. And this is why in some churches, there's only maybe one or two intercessors. I want to tell you, as, as, Mo, as Moses said, I would that all of Israel were prophets. My prayer is I would that all of ARC were intercessors because if we are constantly praying for one another and for other people, we wouldn't fight with one another. Is this all right? We would be so focused on you doing well and you succeeding. We're not looking to take away from that. We're praying for your success.
Amen? So you, the answer to intercession is closeness. Abraham was close, and he drew closer. And God said, Abraham, here's what's going to happen. What do you think about that? And because he was willing to get close, he got an opportunity to change Lot's life. Change the entire course of Lot's life. Amen. Let's lift up our hands one more time. Let's pray. Maybe your prayer today is, maybe you don't know. I don't know if I want to be an intercessor. But God, you know, maybe we can start off small. Just bring somebody to my mind and I'll pray for them. Maybe you already have and I'm going to write their names down. Or maybe you're that individual who says, you know, I really, I really, I really want to be there for somebody. I really want to be somebody God can use to affect nations. I want to tell you what God looks for. He looks for intercessors. Amen. He looks for those, amen, like Elijah, who when there's no rain upon the earth can pray a prayer for the people and all of a sudden it begins to rain so much that the that the harvest comes back. I want to tell you, God's looking for people in Carson City. Amen. When the devil said it's over for Carson City, it's over for this region, amen, he needs a church full of intercessors that'll pray and say, God, don't destroy it because there's people in this city. Amen. There's a church in this city that's standing in the gaps. Uh, God, give us more time to work with that family. Uh, God, give us more time uh, to work with that individual. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. In Jesus' name. Shake hands. Be friendly. Love one another. Don't forget, Brother Polar is going to be preaching an incredible sermon on Sunday. Amen. God bless you.